0: Well, thank you, Praise Team, for giving us a taste of what it's going to be like in the throne room of God. Amen? You look forward to that day? When people represented by every flag up here is going to be represented and and together every tribe, tongue, and nation will celebrate and sing holy, holy, holy to our God. I'm Looking forward to that day. And uh, I appreciate that taste of that this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for allowing us to be in your presence. Lord, we're sinners by nature. And to be in your presence would certainly cost our lives. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, as we, as we sang earlier, we are able to have that relationship with you and sing holy, holy, holy to you. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that as we look into your word, we would be open to what it is is there to teach us. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, if you could turn with me, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and we're looking at the heroes of the faith. And last week, we, we really found a pair of unsung heroes and, and, and as we looked at Moses' parents. And today, we'll end up picking up right where they left off, and, and we'll look at the life of Moses himself. Uh, we'll continue this um, for a few weeks, even after the Christmas season, uh, because there's so much to say about Moses that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we're going to look at, um, at, at, at three acts of heroism. Uh, on the part of Moses this week. But let's take a look at those together. So if you're in Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read verses 24 through 26. This is what we read. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Well, wow, there's a lot in these three verses about Moses and, and what we see about him, but it's important to have a little bit of background. So to pick up where we, where we left off, we kind of have to, to, to go back to the book of Exodus. So again, keep your finger or, or, or something in Hebrews 11, but let's go all the way back to Exodus uh, chapter 2, and, uh, and we'll take a look at, uh, at some things. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, second book, second chapter Starting in the second verse in a few moments. Uh, But last week we talked a little bit about the Abrahamic Covenant and how there was a new threat to the Abrahamic Covenant and it came by by the, the name of Pharaoh, right? And he had several plans to thwart the Abrahamic Covenant for God to bless his people, Israel. And we saw that he tried to enslave the Israelites. We saw that he then tried to overwork them to keep their population down and that didn't work. So he even decided to murder them via the midwives. So saying... To, to take the life of all of the male children and, and, and only let the female children live. And we saw that the midwives feared God and, and we, we saw that they decided to slay them themselves and, and, and take all of the, all of the males. And, and, uh, and through the faith of Moses' parents, they hid him for three months. And that's where we left off last week. And uh, we saw the faith of Amran, uh, uh, Abraham, or, uh, Moses' father and his mother, and that they valued the life of that baby and recognized that as a gift from God. And they did not fear the Pharaoh. And, and how did that work out for them? I mean, they're disobeying the Pharaoh. And that's what we find when we pick up where we left off. So, so Exodus chapter 2, uh, verse, verses 2 through 4, this is what we read. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that, the, that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months that's where we left off last week. But when she could no longer uh, hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. When we look at these, uh, these verses here, we find the first of, of a series of four ironic twists. And, and, and this, I this, will give you all four of these ironic twists that we find here, but how many of you like irony? You're, you're reading, you just love when you see the bad guy get what they deserve in the end. You ever see that? Like the book of Esther. I just, it's so full of irony. I love that. And, uh, and, or the Count of Monte Cristo, which is not in the Bible if you're looking for that. Um, <laughs> but I'm one of those, I just love those stories. You know, where, where the, the, the person who deserves, you know, the, the, the villain gets what they deserve, right? And, and, uh, and here we see the, these these four ironic twists that play out in the next few verses. And I think it's, it's worth uh, catching those. But we find in these verses, the first of those, um, uh, look at verse 4, it says, and his sisters stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Should have read that a minute ago, excuse me. Uh, then, then what we find in the, in the first ironic twist is that the deliverer of Israel, talk about Mo- Moses, the future deliverer of Israel, was saved through compliance with the Pharaoh's command. Now, I put compliance with quote marks, because what I mean here is compliance with a twist. Right? And and there's a little play on words that's going on here. Because if you remember back in chapter 1, the king's command, the Pharaoh's command was, uh, was this. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So the command of Pharaoh was to take the male children, cast them into the river, and treat them as if they're they're garbage, really. Just totally devaluing the life that God had created. But he felt himself, he was pompous enough to think that he had the right to make that decision because he considered himself a god, right? And that was the command. And yet when you go back to what we just read in verse 3, it says, But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch. And put the child in it, and laid it in in, um, in the reeds by the river's bank. So, where did Pharaoh tell them to put the children? In the river. Where did they put the child? In the river, right? And so we find this little this little irony going on that. He was saved. Now, of course, they didn't cast him in there. They they laid him in there, very different. So that's why I say it's compliance with the twist. But you look at that and you see the irony uh, of the story. We find the next one in the very next two verses, verses 5 and 6. We read this. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. You know, this is an ironic story when you think about it. They put the child in the river because they could no longer hide the baby at home. You get to that stage where babies are crying, and if you've ever had any children, you know... They, they don't hide very well. and they, they let you know when they want something, whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning or not, right? So not a lot of uh, young parents, because uh, you, know, you see blank looks on your face. If, if, any young parents in here? You know, right? Your children are, are, are loud, and so they put the baby in the river, and, and, and uh, where it would be a little bit quieter, but um, in the sovereignty of God, we see that who should happen upon this baby but the daughter of Pharaoh himself. Right, uh, and we see, and here we find the the the, the second uh, the second ironic twist. I find it so interesting that the future deliverer of Israel was saved by whom? By the house of Pharaoh. I mean, think about that. Who's the one who who, who decided that Moses' life was worth nothing? Pharaoh. And yet, whose household is the one that's actually rescuing the future deliverer of all of the Israelites? Isn't that cool? Wait, wait, let me try. Isn't that cool? Yes. We're allowed to use the word cool in church, right? It, that's, it's, it's pretty awesome when you think about that. The, the king commanded that his life be snuffed out uh, before he could even realize his potential. And, and yet what we find is that the king is paying for his upbringing, right? The king is, is he's raising him. He's going to raise him in his own household. Look at verse, uh, verses 7 through 9. We find the, the next one, too. We read this. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, uh, that she may nurse the child for you? Verse 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Mm -hmm. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Right, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. The, the deliverer of of Israel—this is the third uh, the third great ironic twist here. The deliverer of Israel was raised by his own mother on Pharaoh's dime. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, let that. I mean, the the Pharaoh's daughter—what she thought, by the way, was a random choice. So, okay, yeah, just go, go get a Hebrew woman. Ends up being the very mother of of moses right and and he and he worked it out so that that the sister miriam was there she saw it she worked it out and god worked it out and so here just imagine a few months earlier right you have moses mother worried about about losing her own life for letting this child live and now pharaoh's daughter is paying you to mother your own child I mean, isn't that awesome? I just love that. And, and, uh, and, I, get, and I look at that and I say, wow, this, this pompous king who thought himself a god is being made to look like a fool by God. I mean, it doesn't get any richer than that. Uh, and then verse, verse 10, we read this. And the child grew and she, she uh, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So he called his name Moses uh, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Uh, to understand that, it's, it's important to understand that the, the word uh, Moses in Hebrew, Moshe, uh, means to draw out of water. So, so even his name is a play on words. Even his name is a form of, of irony uh, in this. Uh, but, but what I think is, is just classic here is that the, the deliverer of Israel was adopted into Pharaoh's own family. I mean, think about that, Pharaoh's own family, and here he is, he is doing everything in his power, and he has a lot of power, humanly speaking, right? He's doing everything in his power to keep the Jews down, and yet he's raising the future deliverer, and he accepts him into his own family as his daughter's son, in a sense, and treats him like a grandchild, raises him up, uh, and and does, I mean, this is just classic. God is humbling the, the proud, by the way, this is what God does. Is, isn't that true? This, this is what God does. Uh, there's a principle, in fact, Jesus uh, spoke about it in Matthew 23, 12. It says, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the nature of, of dealing with God, right? It's that if you exalt yourself, there will come a time God, where God will humiliate you. But yet, if you humble yourself, then God lifts you up. That that's what it's about. Where, where he, he's a just God, and so all of the injustices that we see about about pride and, that come out of our pride, God is going to balance those scales. Sometimes He does it in this lifetime to give us examples so that we can understand who He is. We can understand His justice. We can understand His mercy, and when He gives us examples in real in, in in real life that we see, not all the time do we see it happen. Then because He has eternity, right? And so there are people who may, may live a life of injustice their entire life long, and it seems like they're getting more than they deserve, which is true of all of us, really, if you think about it. But yet what we find is, is, is that they live an entire life, and then they might even die at 110 years old or something. And, and, but you know what? Even then, I would say God is faithful to keep this promise because he has an eternity to deal with that. Does that make sense? And so whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And this is just a classic example of, of a man who thought himself to be a god, and God humbled him, made him to look like a fool, and he didn't even recognize it. And here, for the rest of history, we look back and we think of him as this silly pharaoh who, who tried, to, he tried to no avail to to squashed the Abrahamic covenant and God's blessing to Israel and failed on every attempt, right? Now, I want you to put yourself though in Moses' shoes because this is where we come to the text in Hebrews 11. It's at this point of the story that we come to 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 the heroic acts of faith on the on the part of Moses. Put put yourself in his shoes because he has he was raised in God's sovereign plan. He was raised with a foot in two different worlds, was he not? I mean, did, did he get to see what the life of a slave was like? Yes. In fact, he was raised by a slave. He, 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 under, he got to understand the world of the Hebrews from which he should have come and for which he belonged. And it wasn't just raised by a woman, but a woman who genuinely loved him. I think that's important that's going to, to, to change the direction of his life. And he was raised by a woman who genuinely loved him because it was his own mother, right? Not just a babysitter. This was his own mother. And, and so he, he got to see the world and, and, and this humanized, in a sense, the, uh, the, the, the Jews around him when he had an entire culture who taught that the Jews were slaves are not worth the same as an Egyptian, right? And, and, and so he got to see that. At the same time, He also was raised where there's an education, probably the first Hebrew to know how to read and write. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that it was Moses, because of his training that he received in, in Egypt, was the one who came up with the original alphabet in Hebrew so that they could put the scriptures into writing. By the way, I think that's just another one of the ironies, that Pharaoh is the one who educated Moses so that God's word could be put into Hebrew. I just, you know, then the sovereignty of God baffles me sometimes. And and so he, he got to see that world where he had education, he had all the pleasures of Egypt, he had all the good food, he was treated with royalty. And he was a person who actually got to see both sides of the fence. Does that make sense? And now that helps us understand when we come back to Hebrews 11, why is considered faith the things that that the writer of Hebrews says is faith. So let's go back to Hebrews 11. We'll spend the rest of our time in, in these three verses. Hebrews eleven 24, we'll read one more time. And we'll find the first uh, heroic act of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 24, we read this. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I, I think about that. He had a choice between slavery or royalty. And he chose to identify himself with the slaves instead of identifying himself with the royalty of Egypt. That is a, a, an accomplishment of faith. I, I worded it this way. And this is one of three heroic acts of faith of Moses. Number one, Moses rejected the benefits of a lifestyle of royalty. I mean, most Hebrews would have considered themselves lucky to get a job that wasn't that difficult. Not to get paid for it—that's that's a given. Uh, to, to have a job that might be an indoor job where you're not carrying heavy rocks or you're not doing something very difficult—that you say, boy, you just you're doing—you're lucky. Here is a here's a Hebrew who ended up being raised as a member of the royal family. I mean, you he just won the lottery. Right? He, just, he just won the lottery, and yet uh, he, he gave it away. And he could have been considered royalty for life. And he refused that. Uh, he re- rejected uh, the benefits of faith. And that took faith, did it not? It took faith. Faith in what? We'll see. Let's continue on. Verse 25. Verse 25, this is what we read. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God... Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So he had, a, he had this choice. Um, choice A is to suffer affliction. And choice B is to enjoy pleasures. That's literally what, the, what it says. He chose rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy pleasures. Now, now wait a second. How many of you would look at that and say, that's a good decision? Right? If, if you had a choice between, between uh, suffering affliction on one hand... Or enjoying pleasures, on the other hand, which which how many of you would say suffer affliction, Pastor Dave, right? No, of course we don't. In fact, there's there's this game that that my kids will sometimes play. Um, they call it "Would You Rather." Have you ever played that game with kids? And so they come up with two horrible things. They'll say like, "Would you rather you know like slide down a metal slide in the summer you know with shorts on, you know, <laughs> or you know they'll come up with gross things, you know." they'll the kids, you know, fall into a pool of snot or something like that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so so no matter what you do, you look at it and say, I, I don't want to do this, but I really don't want to do that either. And so it's just, would you rather, you know? And, and so I would always play with the kids when they're little and you know, and say, oh, I got one, and I'd come up, would you rather, and I'd come up with something horrible, would you rather do this or go to Disneyland for a week? And they're like, Dad, you don't understand how the game works, right? <laughs> and uh, and it's just my way of playing with them and you probably remember some of those, right? I mean, and, and why? Because it doesn't work when, you, when you're looking between something that is negative and something that is positive. You look at that and say, uh, there's, it's a no-brainer. You picked a positive. Well, here we have a situation where you have a negative and a positive... And he is praised by the writer of Hebrews under inspiration of God. He is praised for doing what? For choosing what seems like the worst, right? He chose to suffer affliction, and God says that is good. And, and he chose to deny the opportunity to enjoy pleasures, and, and the Bible says that is good, right? Uh, now some some have gone to the to the extent where they they you know some religions uh, believe that God is is. He gets joy out of seeing us in pain. and so pain is good and pleasure is evil. That's not what it's saying here, right? That's not what it's saying. Um, in fact, even this morning, I was listening to NPR. I don't know why I, I inflict that kind of stuff on myself, but I uh, listened to NPR and the radio on the way, and, 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 and you're hearing a Jesuit talking about how they do things that are painful, because they believe it brings them closer to God, because God enjoys seeing them. What? Is that the God you read in the scriptures? You know, it's not. So I think the key is to look at the modifiers in this context. When you have these two options, suffer affliction and enjoy pleasures, uh, it's not always wrong to choose pleasures, and it's not always right to choose affliction. But with these modifiers that he puts in there, this is what makes all the difference. He chose to suffer affliction what, with the people of God. This, that's an important part He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God Who were the people of God? The Israelites The Israelites were being blessed by God by the way And he, you, know, you could see that Because no matter what the pharaohs did to keep them down God kept building them up And they, remember that when we talked about that last week we could see, No doubt God is blessing his people But they were being oppressed by the Egyptians And who were the oppressors? His peers, his family members, his, his grandpa, Grandpa Pharaoh, I'm sure is what he called him, right? And yet, those are the oppressors of the people of Israel. And, and yet, he chose to suffer affliction. Why? Because these were the people of God. And so he chose to be with the oppressed instead of with the oppressors. And you know, this is a decision, by the way, that our kids have to make in school every day isn 't that true you and you, you go to school and and you could get instant popularity might not be the royalty and the the riches of Egypt, but you can get instant popularity by joining the crowd and making fun of certain people, whatever it might be there 's always a certain crowd of people that get made fun of, and then there 's certain people that rise to the top and then they get to college and it switches right so um but but that's the way it is in high school, and, and there's temptations for kids to just say, well, I'm going to side with the oppressors, because that's instant popularity, as opposed to siding with the oppressed. Because what you do is, you you side with the oppressed, what happens? You become one of them. And I recognize this in high school. I went to a Christian high school, and I sat at the table with, with a bunch of people, because they were, they were on my sports teams, they were... I remember sitting at the table with them and I remember one day I had a conversation with one of the kids who wasn't popular but I was talking with them and, and I wanted to continue that conversation so I sat with him at lunch one day and the next day I went back to where I always sat I'm a creature of habit my wife tell ya uh, and, and, and yet I went back to the table and they said you can't sit here anymore because you sat over there with, with the geeks at the geek table and I, and I remember thinking you know what I think I want to sit at that table from now on. <laughs> Why? Because because there's there's the there's the oppressor versus the oppressed, and you find this. This is not just something that happens in in the Bible and in Exodus, the the second book of the Bible. This is the reality in the world we live in today, isn't it? And, and we and we and we have opportunities to side with the oppressed or the oppressors. And, and if we're like Moses, who had faith, he would say, "Then I'm going to side with the oppressed." Why? Because who with whom we identify ourselves, with whom we uh, we connect. That is an important thing. Moses chose to suffer affliction. Why? Because it was with the people of God. And, uh, and, we, and we see that. Uh, take, that's a heroic act of faith. But what does it say about enjoy pleasures? It says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy. Uh, there are two descriptions. It says that they're passing pleasures, and we'll talk about that in a second, and pleasures of sin. It's important to understand these. First of all, the word word there for for passing, uh, and I think some of your translations, depending on what what versions you have with you, might say fleeting, right? Uh, Some might say pleasures of sin for a season because the idea is that it's a temporary nature. Uh, The idea of this is that, that the nature of sin is that the joy it produces diminishes over time. It is a passing pleasure Well, this is really insightful into the understanding of what sin is uh, by putting these words together calling it enjoying the passing pleasures of sin you know when, the nature of sin is that when we, we choose to exchange the long-term joy that God intended for a short-term pleasure that fades over time isn't that true that's what, you could, in a sense, you could look at any sin. The, every sin, is, in a sense, is a shortcut to, de- to joy, and it is deceptive. It's, it's an attempt to get some kind of joy, and, and maybe even a joy that God wants you to have, but you do it the illegitimate way. And what does the Bible say will happen to that kind of pleasure? It will pass. It will not provide the long-term joy that you want. In fact, here's a homework assignment for you, all right? Read Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Read, just read it on your own time. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And what you'll read is a description of sin as deceitful and waning in its pleasure. It's, it's, uh, I, I Oftentimes, you've probably heard me call it, a, it's a worm on a hook and we're the fish. It looks tempting, it looks tasty, but there's always a hook to sin. Is there not? And so when we look for, for, our, for our joy and the pleasures that this world offers, it, it, the, the world will promise pleasure, but it will rob your joy. Uh, you you, know, you write that down, memorize it if you have. The, the world will, will promise pleasure, but it will rob you of joy. We call this the law of diminishing returns. It's the idea that when you, when you play with an illegitimate pleasure, then the sense of pleasure that you receive will diminish with time and repetition. Uh, you know, the, you imagine the first kiss, the, the, you know, your first kiss, you might look back at that and say, wow, how exciting that was, right? Um, but then what happens is, over time, you, you, you need to experiment with more than that to get the same level of joy. Why? Because if, if in our lives, if, if we tinker with the joy that is, is a shortcut, in other words, you, you start a physical relationship that, that starts to go up this ladder, but yet there's no commitment, there's no intimacy, there's, it's not really at the level, and, and then we start to defraud ourselves, right? And so with that, then what happens to that kind of pleasure? It passes. So what do you do? You have to do something a little bit more to get that same level of pressure. And, and, yet it's, and so we defraud ourselves again, and that's exactly what leads to fornication, Right? Uh, sex prior to marriage. That's exactly what leads to it. Now, there's grace, and if you've gone through this, I, but I, I, I understand that there's grace, but I want you to learn the lesson from it, right? And the lesson is that the, the joy from anything that the world has to offer you, that's a shortcut. It is going to promise you pleasure, but it is going to rob you of joy. And so, so that's what happens. And so, so then it becomes, well, it's the easier way. It's, it's hard to develop intimacy. It's hard to actually be committed to a person. It's hard to become selfless. It's, those are all hard. So why not just enjoy all the pleasure without all of the work? Right? And you could look at almost every sin and see it the same way. It, it, take, take cheating. Right? What is cheating? It's a desire for a good grade. How many of you want good grades? You know, all of you were students, right? You want good grades. That's not bad, but then there's an easy way and a hard way to get good grades. And we choose the easy way by looking at some... What, what happens is we, we find ourselves uh, looking for that shortcut, but it will rob us of joy in the long run. Take, take married couples. Uh, you, 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 you get into, into your, your marriage, and you realize that, that Prince Charming isn't always charming. Right? And... and and you find that that there 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 problems in the marriage, and you know every good marriage. By the way, every every good marriage that I know, I would say they went through times of struggle. Is that is that safe to say? There were times when they stuck it out because it was the right thing to do, not because it's what they wanted to do, and they worked through the issues. But you know what? When you have when you have uh, two selfish people and, they, and God joins them as one. Boy, that's, that's, that's a place for conflict, right? <laughs> and, and so, so you, he, God puts us together, but you know what? That's part of the process of growing us. And, and so the easy thing might be to say, you know what? I don't want to put up with this anymore. I'm going to take the easy route. And the easy route could be just back off, separate, and divorce the person, and so on. You see what I'm saying? When what God has for us is for us to actually work through those things, recognize the selfishness in my own life, deal with that selfishness. The other person deals with their selfishness. We grow. We grow spiritually. And the next thing you know, you say, wow, this is better than what I actually was hoping for when I said I do. Right? It becomes something much better than that. And so God has this joy in mind, and we lose it because we keep looking for the shortcuts to joy. And... And, uh, and that's not the way it's designed. Stealing, same thing, whatever it might be. Lying. Uh, when we lie, so we look good in front of other people, and it robs us of joy in the long run. And, uh, and so Moses chose to suffer affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures. When I look at the second heroic act, this is the way I worded it. You can word it however you want in your notes. But I worded it this way. I said, Moses recognized that the pleasures of this world did not satisfy. He recognized that. He recognized that, that when he looked at the choice between suffering affliction with the people of God versus, versus all the pleasures that the world could offer, and they could offer him a lot and, as a royal member of the, of the family of Pharaoh, and he looked at those and said, there's not really even a choice here. I'm gonna suffer affliction with the people of God. And um, that was the choice that he made. How was he able to give all that up? Verse 26 tells us that. Verse 26, we read this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward so three parts of that sentence I want to take a look at first esteeming the reproach of Christ this is an interesting thing an interesting way for the writer of Hebrews to put it because if you look at the chronology of the story of the Bible Moses is pretty early in the story right where's Christ he's all the way in the new testament Right, he, Christ is in the New Testament. And so there's no way on earth that Moses, in his situation, in his mind, was thinking Christ in the, in the full sense that we understand. But what the writer of Hebrews helps us see is that Moses did understand the reproach of Christ to some extent because, uh, because uh, he, all of the things that we, Moses was doing, even though he didn't have a clear picture of who Jesus Christ was like we do, he was pointing to himself he was pointing towards christ the whole time and guess what you point towards christ there will be reproach that comes with that and, and i think what the writer of hebrews is saying is 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 that that the the reproach of christ that was happening for them because remember nero was saying you had to renounce christ and and they were saying uh, that the reproach of christ is something that has been existent for a long long time See, in the days of Moses, remember what the Bible says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so we must lift up the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Uh, as Moses put in place, and he talked about the law of the, the systems of sacrifices, well, well, who's that pointing to? It's pointing... pointing to Jesus Christ, as as you look at the Moses giving directions for putting the, the the blood on the on the tops and the sides of the door frames, and as the Passover would take place, the last plague before they left Egypt, what's that pointing to? Christ, and, and so 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 Moses. Even though he didn't have a complete picture of everything about Jesus Christ, he was willing to suffer the reproach of Christ and say, I will take this, and if you compare that to the riches of of Egypt and everything that Egypt has, there's no comparison there. I would rather take the reproach of Christ than the riches of Egypt. Wow. Think about that for a moment. And and, and so... uh, that's where he's saying, he, he, so the writer of Hebrews is connecting the heroic faith of Moses to the issue of the day that was going on. And he was saying, you're, you're, you're this close to giving up Christ simply to save your own lives. What you need is to look at the heroes of the faith, all these heroes that you're still allowed to, to, to talk about, like Moses, and say, guess what? Moses had the same choice back in his day that you have today. And he's a hero because he made the right choice. Um, It was putting uh, the readers into Moses' shoes. In a sense, vice versa, putting Moses into the shoes of them and where they were at. Look at the second part of that verse. It says, uh, he he considered them greater than the treasures of Egypt. This is where we go back to that idea. of He understood that the treasures of Egypt, all of the things that, that Egypt had to offer... Those are passing pleasures, right? And, and, and the treasures can bring you pleasures, but they will pass, and the joy will pass in no time at all. And then how did he do that? When he weighs these two things out, how did he do that? The last, the last phrase we find in the verse, for he looked to the reward. He, he got out of his present tense observations and began to look at the future and say, I trust in God that there's a God who rewards what is right and, and I believe that one day he will reward me for doing what is right. That brings us to our third and last heroic act of faith on Moses' part. Moses trusted that God would reward him. He did the right thing regardless of the consequences. By faith, a faith that God would one day Reward him for that choice, be it during his lifetime or not. Didn't matter. Didn't matter to Moses. I mean, that—that that is an example of faith. Imagine for a moment if he had chosen the opposite. Imagine if he had looked at the two and said, "Boy, I could live a lifestyle of luxury my entire life long, or I could do this hard path that God has set me on." Um, imagine if he had done the other. All the joys he would have had in that life, right? But how popular do you think he would be? Do you think we'd be talking about him today? I mean, do we even know the name of Pharaoh's daughter? Do we talk about her name? No. Let alone her son. Do we we know the names of of all of the other members of the royal court? We don't even know the name of the Pharaoh. It just says the Pharaoh, the king, sometimes he's described in Exodus. That's, um, you know, now we can, do our history charts and try and figure that out and argue over that stuff but but, you know he could have had a, a very easy life but without any contribution to the story of God's faithfulness but instead he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God and did he contribute to the story of God's faithfulness? You bet he did did he make mistakes? Yes of course he did but he contributed to the story of God's faithfulness, and we see the faithfulness of God. Even when Mo- Moses uh, took the bones of Joseph back to, uh, to Shechem, and we, 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 we see that. Well, I'll tell you what, um, a million years from now, who do you want to be known as? The person who took the easiest road, got, got through life as easy as possible, enjoyed as much stuff as you could, you could afford, or do you want to be a person who contributed to the story of God's faithfulness? And you know what? The more I look at, I look at it, I think, you know what? Moses made the right choice. And it's a choice that we have. To, well, that means we have to risk everything that we know we have right now to say, I have trust that God will reward someday in the future. I just want to show one example of what it looks like when someone chooses the opposite. This, this is just a quote from George Clooney. And he said this. He said, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. See, he had the same choice. I've got this life. I can make this life the best that I can for me, or I can risk it and believe in God and do what he wants me to do. And he made the wrong choice so far. We can still pray for him, amen? And uh, and, and so I look at that and I say, Moses is a hero because he did the exact opposite of that. Uh, Moses is a hero of the faith because he weighed the pleasures of sin against the eternal rewards for doing what is right, and he made that right choice. And that took an incredible amount of faith. What about you? Two questions today as we close. Number one, judging by your own choices, your own day-to-day choices, have you chosen to suffer affliction rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin? If God were giving a recap of your life, if, if there was a writer of a new book of the Bible, which there isn't, but if there was and they were writing about the life of you, would they say you chose to suffer affliction or would they say that you just chose to enjoy the pleasures of sin? Which are passing, by the way. Second question is, would you stand up for what is right, even if you knew that you would lose everything for it? In Moses' situation, uh, he he had a choice to do what was right and lose everything. His status, his home, his peers, uh, even his freedom, and potentially his life in his mind. He didn't know how that would end up. Would you stand up for what is right? Because if the answer to that is no, then you've chosen the pleasures of this world instead of suffering affliction with the people of God. And it's a bad, it's a bad choice. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's someone here today, and you've come today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because to this point you're just checking it out. But maybe to, to, to date, it's about you. What can I do with my life to make it the best? life that I can have. Uh, And maybe that's what it is. And I I want to urge you today, I want to to tell you today that that no matter what you earn in this life, it will not bring you long-term satisfaction. And you you can choose the passing pleasures of sin, or today you can make that choice to say, I am going to choose to to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and be put on a new path where my life is no longer about me but it's about the faithfulness of God. And it's a great path to be on and I want to give you that opportunity today. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to ask you to either come forward and talk to me or you can go to the back. We have some men and women with a little lanyard that says, ask me, and they can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that your life is on a new path starting today. I also want to speak to those who, who, who know you're saved. When you look at your life are you living like it? Or are you still worried about the, the, the passing things in this life? The things that really don't matter in eternity? Or do we look forward to the rewards? where one day, we will stand before God with all of the others who have suffered affliction around the world. And we will one day stand together and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. We can be a part of that. And, uh, and so that might mean uh, dealing with some of the issues today. And you know what? I'm going to invite you as well. Just come forward. You can come to either side and just pray. I'm not going to bother you. I won't interrupt you. And, and it's just between you and God. And, and take that to the Lord in prayer and recommit to, to him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that it is convicting to us. And Lord, I, I look at this and I say, boy, would, would this be the description of me? And, and I don't know, Lord. I, there are areas that, where I get too concerned, too wrapped up in the things of this world. And Lord, I, I repent of that today. And Lord, I pray that you would work amongst us today and that you would to, do a work that, in, in our, our hearts today so that we would all walk out of here with, with our center focused on things that really matter. And Lord, I pray we would choose, even if it's affliction, that we would choose that, if it's with your people, as opposed to the passing pleasures that are intended to deceive us and rob us of joy. And I pray this in Christ's name.